Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to Kayak Fishing Weekly, the uh, the Kayak Fishing Show here on the Serious Angler Podcast Network. And I'm back with my counterpart, Mr. Justin Largen. I'm hey, hey. like Brett. Dude, the last show we put out last week was Christine Fisher was on Thanksgiving. So obviously we didn't record on Thanksgiving, but uh, how was your holiday, man? How'd it go? It was great. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. Uh, got to see most of the family. I've got a big family, so... Uh, lots of uh, of nieces, all nieces too. No nephews yet, but I have eight eight nieces now. It's uh, and I got to see a lot of them, so it was it was fun. And then of course, you know the usual Thanksgiving. Like I feel like I put on twenty pounds. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so you did it right then. Yeah, yeah. What about you? It was good, dude. I uh, first Thanksgiving, you know, with the wife and I as a, a married folk, didn't really feel any different because we were both like you said, twenty pounds heavier. Even her <laughs> uh, her family's Thanksgiving. Uh, but it was cool, man. Uh, it was good to get with everybody and watch some football, uh, drink some beer, and have a, had a, some really good food and some good times. But uh, nonetheless, we uh, it wouldn't be a Thanksgiving here in Buffalo if we weren't treated with uh, a crap ton of snow. Like I was telling uh, our guest here offline, I'm sitting, I'm staring at about half a foot of snow on my truck outside, and it's almost that doom and gloom time here in the north where it's like, hey, you're oh. counting down the days when you're done fishing, at least for 2023 anyway. I am not envious of that at all. I I don't dislike the cold, like in general, like it, it's cool to, I don't know. To me that when I lived in DC, the coolest that city ever looked was when we had about a foot and a half of snow on the ground and there was nobody around. So you're looking at the monuments covered in snow, it's like perfectly quiet and it's just, it's almost like being in a different place. But I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do those winters. Uh, that many months of not fishing would, I think, drive me crazy. Yeah, it, Honestly, I, I like it. I do like it to an extent, but like once Christmas and New Year's is over, I'm kind of sick of the feet and feet of snow. Like, as we get people that may not know or have seen, but Buffalo is uh, infamous for just like these giant snowstorms where we get like six and seven feet of snow. Uh, and it's crazy. It'd only be like in two or three towns in Buffalo. It's super weird how it happens. Like, uh, Andy, my, uh, one of the hosts of Serious Angler, he's only 10 minutes from me and he got a foot and a half. I got half a foot. It's crazy how the bands work coming out between Erie and Ontario, uh, how they hit Buffalo. But it's uh, it's wild, man. Uh, I was I was telling our guest for today, Mr. Russ Snyder's coming on the show. I was telling him how uh, I'm a cold guy because he came back from a, a tropical environment and has seen how he is cold where he's at now here back in the states. And I was like, man, I can't I can't do that Florida heat. Like I get two or three days and I'm screwed. Where I like the the mid 40s to mid 50s up here, but once we get that. 10 degrees, 45 mile an hour winds coming off the lake, crazy amount of snow. It, it gets old after a while. Yeah. I, I don't like having to knock ice out of the guy. It's, it's, it's no fun. No, no, it's not. Uh, as long as they're, they're eating though, that makes it all worth it, which we're in the smallmouth Mecca. So it's, uh, they're chewing as long as you can get out there and there's no ice just yet, you know, covered up and covered up anyway. Uh, you can still catch them, but, um, dude, uh, while we're, we're saying how you know the temperatures are making things slow down here, fishing season wise, and things are coming in coming to an end, uh, it feels kind of nice though because we're gonna have this show to be able to talk about what's upcoming for 2024 fishing season, what to look forward to. Uh, but man, we're getting on uh, quite the guest here today to look back on 2023 at another star-studded season, man. And, uh, of course, Mr. Russ Snyder. Should we bring him on? Let's bring him on. 
All right, without further Go. ado, Mr. Russ Snyder, what's going on, man? Yo, what's up, guys? How's it it's, going? Uh, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, it's not as good as Puerto Rico, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cold. I'm back in Tennessee, and it was nice to get away for a little bit and spend Thanksgiving down in Puerto Rico and uh, try to do a little fishing down there. But, but yeah, back, uh, back in the swing of things here and back home, and um. Yeah, here I am. <laughs> was the, uh, I got to ask, the Puerto Rico trip, was it like a family thing, a friend thing, or did you just like, hey, I got time, I'm going to just go to Puerto Rico by myself and see what happens? No, it's, it's with my cousin. Uh, we, we've grown up together, been always been close, and she's really into the outdoors stuff, backpacking, camping, and all that, and exploring. So, uh, yeah, we just had the opportunity to spend about 10 days down there and uh, explore a bunch of beaches and waterfalls and do a bunch of hiking and just enjoy some some good puerto rican food and uh kick back and relax for a little bit nice man and now you're back in the states where everything's starting to get cold but <laughs> yeah, yeah but you, you needed some fishing down there was it salt water? i mean obviously puerto rico i have no idea what they have to offer they got bass down there too actually they got they got some largemouth bass and some peacock bass uh but i was trying to chase some tarpon uh i didn't land one i, I was a little unprepared i forgot my leader material so uh fish form had a, a few little opportunities probably an hour each time uh, a few days um just kind of walking the beaches but the one time i did finally run into them we did about a three mile hike uh, down to this little bay and we get down there and I've never caught it. So tarpons on my bucket list. I've hooked a couple accidentally kind of while going for redfish or, or uh, speckled trout, but I've never landed a tarpon. Uh, but I get down there and I just see the backs like right away. I see some bait scattering. I see their backs rolling out of the water. And every once in a while, you'll just see one thrash some bait. And they kind of varied in size. It looks like some of them were anywhere from like 10 pounds to maybe 100 pounds or so. But, uh, but I hooked up with two and then they got a little smart on me right away. I hooked up with one that was maybe 20 pounds and bought it for a little bit, came off. And, uh, then I was, I was just casting like a belly weighted fluke and, um, yeah. And there were, I mean, a lot of times they'd bust right there. They wouldn't hit it that, that much for as many fish that were there. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I was like calling up my buddy who's, who's caught some, he lives down in Florida. I'm like, dude, am I using the right color? Am I using like, how fast do I need to be working this thing? And I'm like panicking. <laughs> so I'm like looking at all these tarp and knowing that like, Hey, this is my shot to get one. And I'm like on the phone with him, like knee deep and I'm working this fluke back. And it was probably like not even five feet from my rod tip, like a 70, 80 pounder, just, just, just the most intense explosion on a fluke you could imagine. And, uh, just moved so much water. And as soon as I set the hook, it snapped my line. Cause I didn't, no. I mean, you need, you need like, they got really bony mouse. So it's hard to get a hook in. And they also just got a really, a lot of sandpaper, just a really rough, yeah. uh, edges on their mouth. So I had like 17 pound leader, like an idiot. And after talking to some people like, yeah, you don't, you got like a 1% chance of getting one with that. You need, you need 40, 50 pound leader minimum. So Dang, yeah, dude. I blew it. <laughs> Shoot. I can't imagine though. Like I, I'm not a, a saltwater you know, guy at all. I, I do it occasionally. Like if, if I'm with family at the beach, but I can't imagine a 70 to 80 pound fish. Like it was like a top water. tackle. Yeah, on bass, it was on my Snyder, my eye rod. I was using my, my Snyder's sniper uh, eye rod, just like a seven foot five, medium heavy. It's kind of like a moderate fast and had 40 pound braid. And 
I only had that 17 pound liter, but, uh, but yeah, you can get, I kind of wonder like hooking on that, just had a normal, you know, like 200 sized, uh, casting reel. So I think probably could have spooled my ass to be honest, but <laughs> yeah, it is still, still like an experience. I'll never forget just having that hit and seeing those fish down there. And like, I saw it on the map. I'm like, oh man, this place probably doesn't get fish much. Like it's kind of hard to access. You got to hike in a few miles and it was just, everything was perfect. I get down there and it was just kind of, as I was, I was, I was hoping it would be, uh, the fish were there. I just, yeah, I blew it. Is it the typical like Caribbean colored water down there? Like where it's like that aqua kind of. And in certain parts. So there's also some like mangroves and stuff like that. There's like on the North side of the Island, there was some pretty big sets of waves, you know, like eight, eight foot waves or so on that North side. And then on the South, we were in that area. It was kind of like the South West corner and at one point it turns into some mangroves and some islands and it's actually really calm and protected down there and this area was kind of like just on the transition of where it went from like the mangrove kind of backwater areas to more of the open ocean and it was it was kind of right on the mix right there um so and it was kind of staying as the water was staying there it was a little bit of wind too it was kind of blowing it was a little protected though the, the it wasn't I was in a bay and it wasn't blowing in, you know, shore. It wasn't blown from my back, but it was kind of blowing across. And there was a big point out maybe a hundred yards from me where you could see the wind ripping around that point. But I was just in that little calm pocket right there. And that's where all the bait was stacked up. But it was like a foot and a half, two foot clarity. It was pretty dingy. <clears throat> Dang, that's pretty cool. My, uh, for people that follow my personal social, they, they might've seen my post the other day. My parents live, in Florida, my grandparents too. Uh, and my dad is into kayak fishing, but he, he said, you can keep all your freshwater fish. I'm going to go catch these. Okay. They live at uh, like 10 minutes from Boca Grande down in Florida. Cool. Uh, people that know that's uh, one of the tarpon meccas uh, of Florida. And uh, he, he takes his autopilot out there and spot lock catch it. He's apparently stumbled across this uh, little hole that, for whatever reason he's catching tarpon all year round like usually it's a very cool you know, tarpon it's like seasonal because they move in move yeah. out i don't understand i'm not going to try to talk like i understand that because i don't yeah they migrate uh, a lot i guess yeah right yeah and uh he catches the crap out of anything from you know like your small juveniles to uh <clears throat> the biggest one he's ever caught from a kayak actually wasn't by him it was the one time he brought my mom fishing and they were next to each other because he's got spot lock and she hooks up to one that was he said it was probably anywhere like close to 70 pounds and uh it was pretty big from the picture super funny to the video of it telling my mom around she's swearing wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah super cool yeah. man i just uh it's so nice cool. having a little getaway <laughs> down there to go saltwater fish from the kayak yeah um, anyway, i grew up doing a lot snow. of saltwater fishing out in california i grew up to it but it's different there you know it's like salmon and halibut and rockfish so i grew up doing a lot of that but it's that's different than the florida stuff for sure yeah and, and that kind of leads us to some of our questions for you man like you've obviously uh from an accolade standpoint have racked up quite the uh the resume you know justin here refers to you as the goat and i won't argue any of that but like your your consistency and your success do you think a lot of it now today is because of an accumulation of all the different diverse fishing environments and situations you've been in that can lead you to where you're at now? For sure. Yeah. I've just been, you know, growing up in Northern California and just the diverse, 
you know, just the bass fisheries are, are extremely diverse with uh, the clear, you know, natural reservoirs or more spotted bass like Oroville and Shasta to, you know, Clear Lake, which is one of the top bass lakes in the country, which has a little bit of everything. It's a natural lake, a lot of vegetation, rock, docks. It has a little bit of everything. And then uh, spending a lot of time on a, a tidal estuary like the California Delta, uh, which is more shallow water fishing too, but just the uh, complex environment of of having all the tides and the fish moving in and out of areas and just understanding fish movement on the rising and dropping water. Uh, and then also just the fact that I've probably done a lot of other targeted, a lot of other species out there from, you know, fly fishing for trout up in the Sierras to, you know, trolling or mooching for salmon, on uh, the ocean with my dad and his boat or doing surf fishing for stripers whether it's out in the ocean or in the bay or in the delta, I've done a little of that, and uh, or just bottom fishing, you know, deep two, three hundred foot of water sometimes for rockfish and link cod. So it's, I've, I've definitely, you know, I think having all that experience in different different styles and elements of fishing has uh, definitely contributed just to to my to my bass fishing too. All that stuff kind of, you know, you could take a little bit of something and, and apply it to bass fishing in a lot of ways too. So I noticed it's, it's kind of a trend that I don't know. We, our guest last week, Christine was talking about, I mean, I think everybody knows she loves to musky fish and, and do, do things outside of bass, but that's kind of interesting that some of the, the top anglers, the people that are most successful, yeah, they love bass, but they also, they just love the fish in general and like doing other things. I think that's kind of cool because I'm, oh. I'm kind of, I do like to fish other species, but I'm I'm really a bass junkie. Like if if even when, when I'm at you know right next to saltwater, I find myself like if there's a little freshwater pond, I'm in the freshwater pond. So it, it's kind of I don't know. I'm I'm definitely different from you guys in that regard. I, if there was nothing else, I'd you know I'd, I'd catch whatever I could catch. But I don't know something see, about bass is is see Justin. My brain is so wired for bass where I will be with my dad in the salt, like fishing mangroves, skipping for like mangroves for snook or reds, whatever. And my brain's still thinking I'm skipping stuff for bass <laughs> and then a snookies. And it's like, I, I'm always just thinking about bass. It, it, it kind of gets in the way, but th- you're right though. Like uh, we talked about that Christine last week. If it seems to be, there's a trend of consistency with true hardcore fish heads like yourself with you, Christine. And I know he's, relatively quote-unquote new to the scene you know second year but like nolan minor big fish head big saltwater guy and he's totally uh, i think yeah. there's definitely a trend there no i agree yeah. yeah i might have to change my ways a little bit yeah, yeah. force ourselves to go fish for some other things so we can start doing better <laughs> in the best scene exactly <laughs> yeah i hear that but uh with with that what do you think beyond bass like take bass aside, is there any sort of species or region that you've went and gone fish that you've seen apply most to helping you learn about bass fishing? If that makes sense. Um, I guess striper. I mean, that's similar to style like striped bass fishing. I spent a lot of time fishing for them in the surf, which I don't know if that's that relates to to catching you know largemouth or black bass as much, but fishing them there, fishing really my first. You know, where I grew up in, in San Mateo, California, it's it's on the peninsula, kind of in between like San Francisco and San Jose. There were no bass fishing lakes. The closest place was like south of San Jose, about an hour would be the closest place for me to even catch a bass. Or I'd go to the California Delta, which was like an hour and a half. So when I was a little kid, like 
I, I didn't have any options as far as bass unless we went like on family camping trips and stuff like that. Uh, so I grew up really chasing striped bass out in the bay and the ones in the bay were mostly they call them like schoolie size anywhere from you know like three to ten pounds would be a pretty good one but three to eight pounds and uh and it's pretty you're using a lot of similar lures whether it's like a spook or jerk baits or a hair jig with a little you know bucktail jig with a, a like a longer five inch uh worm on the back or swim baits so it's a lot of the similar you know it's not too different really from from you know, chasing, chasing largemouth bass and just looking for, you know, points or current, or sometimes they'll move the high tide back into the bays. And then on the low tide, you got to find those deeper areas or the points that are generating some current. So, uh, but all that stuff is really what kind of set up my fundamentals for, for learning about bass fishing. And a, a lot of that fishing for those smaller school size stripers can really apply to, to, yeah, apply to all the bass fishing that I do. Makes sense. I've got a, I guess, a, a question kind of along the same vein, uh, but but you've, you know, Bailey mentioned I, I refer to you as the goat uh, because you are. You've won a lot of tournaments, and I feel like you've won them different ways. But I'm curious what you think. Like the reputation that, at least my perception is that you're extremely, you're good everywhere, but but you are a, you are in your element, kind of shallow water power fishing. But I'm wondering what you think your strength is. What's your kind of your favorite way to do it or, or what you think is your uh, like what's your bread and butter? Yeah, no, I'd agree. Shallow water power fishing is, is what I feel most confident doing. And I've cash checks, you know, doing some of the deeper stuff. I got like a second place at a Dale Hollow tournament using a Demiki mitt rig with my electronics, which was, you know, that's uh, that's definitely a little out of my comfort zone at this point when i grew up bass fishing when i had my bass boat and stuff and i do tournaments out in california i felt like i was pretty you know, as far as like deep water fishing shallow water fishing i was pretty comfortable doing both and I, I think i was on a pretty level playing field with a lot of other people with that deep water stuff and once i got out to uh i kind of stopped you know i i before i moved out here uh, for the last three years, I didn't, I wasn't fishing, I wasn't fishing out of my boat much. And I was doing a lot more surf fishing, striper fishing. I was kind of like as electronics were progressing. And then I moved out to Tennessee and it was progressing even more. And when I got my first kayak, I just had, I think that was the first time I even had like side imaging was on my kayak when I moved out here. So I got, you know, I, I kind of dropped the ball as far as keeping up with electronics and, and all that stuff. And it seems like for the last number of years, I'm, I'm trying to play catch up at this point. Uh, I finally did get my live scope and, and finally caught a, I got a check on the last Hobie TOC there where I saw you at the, uh, at Lake Chickamauga was my first tournament where I cash check using live scope predominantly. I'd say the majority of the day I was using the live scope. So, um, but yeah, I've, as far as it comes to electronics, whether it's on, you know, electronics on a, on a kayak or just electronics in general, I wouldn't consider myself a very techie person. So maybe that's why I've always kind of gravitated towards more of the shallow water fish. And I think where I really excel too is just my mechanics with, with casting and, uh, and just being really stealthy, especially just being on a kayak um, just that element of like really being stealthy and, and balanced and agile and, 
uh, all that kind of fits into being able to power fish shallow and, and just be really efficient, recognizing those ambush points that the bass are using to, to feed, whether it's the little grass edges or lay downs and kind of recognizing like the sweet spots of where you want to be casting those lay downs and how to break things apart to, you know, know like a few coming to cast here and then always thinking like a few casts ahead as far as just under, really it comes down to like understanding boat positioning when you're fishing shallow water. Uh, and I think that's something I, I have a good, good understanding for and applying that with the good mechanics, uh, understanding of boat positioning and just being as efficient as possible and as stealthy as possible. So you combine all those things and that's, I think that's why I've had the success that I've had. Yeah. The instincts like being very, you know, one with the conditions that you're, you're presented with at the time. I think that's, that's a great point. Like to your point, like when you say thinking two, three casts ahead, it's you're 50 yards down and you're looking down the bank and you're like, I'm going to catch one right there. (laughs) It's no one that's coming. Um, But you, you you brought up something I think is really interesting that I think people, whether you're in a, kayak you're on the bank it doesn't matter where you're fishing from but talking about being stealthy and i think people kind of underestimate how loud you can be even like the smallest things that might not sound very loud to us above you know especially on a, a plastic uh kayak that might be very loud under the water that can kind of yeah. give away your your position so uh when you when you talk about being stealthy and like whether it's taking your time or moving slowly, try not to make too much noise, whatever it may be, where did that develop for you? Did that develop because of you getting into the kayak or was that something well beyond that back in California? Uh, I'd say even my style of fishing, even when I had my boat, you know, the time there'd be a lot of times, you know, I'd always look to get to those spots that other boats can't get to, whether that mean bringing a chainsaw, which I've used, you know, before tournaments to cut down little areas to get into farther back in creeks or going all all the way around under the backsides of docks or going into a marina where they have the little walkways where you can just barely, barely get a boat in. I mean, I've trashed my boat. (laughs) I would trash my boat because if I thought I could get it in somewhere and I would catch a fish, like I, I would, I destroyed my boats literally. I mean, I beat the living crap out of them and now I get in a kayak and it's, it's okay. You don't have to worry about it, about, you know, <laughs> ripping apart your gel coat and just, da- you know, just causing a bunch of damage. I just, I beat the crap out of it and I have, I have no remorse. Yeah. It's definitely easier with the kayak. It is. It is. So it definitely just fed, you know, I felt right at home. As soon as I got in a kayak, I'm like, oh, this is, this is my jam here. Yeah. Those scratches are almost like trophies for guys that <laughs> like that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. That's awesome. Justin, you got anything more on that? I, I you mentioned the docks. That's one of the things that, I don't hear many guys talk about the walkways on docks. Like if you yeah. put your rods down, almost like kind of a river setup, it's like it, you can save so much time sliding under those walkways. If totally. there's just a little bit of clearance, you don't have to go like all those boats have to go out, come all the way back in, out uh, around every single dock, and you can just slide under the walkways. And you're right yeah. there where the best fishing is most of the time, at least for me anyway. So totally. that, I, I like that point. That's to me, that's if, like the, the, I guess what I consider my home lake now is it's docks everywhere. 
And, uh, and that's something that, that I like to do. So I, I like that you hit on that point. Cool. Yeah. Uh, with kayak fishing still being relatively new and young in regards to, you know, the competitive side of the sport and things, and especially the, uh, the innovation when it comes to kayaks themselves or equipment on kayaks, it's very still DIY. Uh, I think that's why a lot of people love the sport. I don't think the DIY aspect of kayaks is ever going to leave. Um, but there's definitely stuff like for yourself being in the, the sport for seemingly, I believe since the beginning, you know, there's, there's probably some things you figured out that, you're like, hey, no one, no one else is, knows about this just yet. Whether it's a technique you can do in the kayak, or if it's equipment, or something like that. Uh, and I'm curious, from your standpoint, is there anything still that you're doing that you think is underrated? Whether it's something you can do with a kayak shallow, or it's an equipment um, that is, you know, uh, keeping you more efficient on the kayak, especially from your style of fishing. Is there something that still exists, or does everybody pretty much know about about it all now? I don't know if I necessarily have like something or there's something unique to what I do as far as my, my rigging or, you know, I could think of like using that yak attack stakeout pole uh, just efficiently and having it tied off in an area where it's just like one little not twist, those little metal coated um, metal, you know, rubber coated metal pieces where I just like untwist it and I can get it fast through, throw it down through a scupper hole and just, anchor myself down just when, whenever it's a softer bottom obviously it doesn't work too good on the rocks um but just having everything in place where i guess a big thing for me too as far as my rigging goes is i really like having the sides of the kayak open i like my fish finder whenever i can i, c- I couldn't do it with my my live scope kayak my deep water kayak but because i prefer doing a shallow water fishing i just like a really open platform where i have my fish finder right in front of me and just everything around the sides as open as possible to just give me lots of possibilities for different roll casts whether it's backhand or forehand or flipping or uh, just to to not have any kind of restriction uh, that's going to cause you know as far as restriction of movement that's going to uh, take away certain angles or casts for me yeah that makes sense so are you when you like when you're talking about keeping it open in front of you are you not a big fan of like horizontal rod storage are you want to keep everything behind you like what's your you yeah a, i keep everything like? i keep everything behind me uh yak attack black pack just standing standing upright and, um, you know, certain situations, you know, you got to grab the rods and have them below, you know, if you're going through a culvert or under docks or something like that, but I have it where I can do that pretty, pretty quickly and efficiently. And those are just like the little things as you, you know, get comfortable with, with the kayak that you're in, that just start to flow more naturally and you can just dial it in a little bit here, a little bit there and just get more and more efficient as far as the way you do things. When you do find something that works just really you know, trying to put that in your memory bank there and, and, uh, so you don't forget it and you can, I'm always just cautious of how to do things more efficiently, more just quickly to save time and, and to, um, yeah. And just to, to, to create something that's, uh, that works for you, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And that's why kayak fishing is what it is, right? It's very DIY. It's very customizable. Totally. Um, yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way where I've been going through uh, phases uh, as of probably the last year where for whatever reason, I hated stuff. At first, I hated things behind me. Uh, I'd always put them like back left if I did. So I wasn't wouldn't cast into them. But now I'm like, uh, so or 
it was started with I would put everything down like horizontal rod storage. And now I've come to the point where I hate that I'm like confined when I'm measuring fish or if I'm trying to move around doing anything. So now everything's behind me. Uh if it's seeming like it's always always changing. Yeah, always evolving, always adapting and always yeah, just continuous. Uh yeah, we kind of wish I knew all the things I knew now or had all the little tweaks and things dialed in now. I can go back a long time ago where I'm like, dang, it would have helped helped me in this situation or that situation, you know. No kidding. Russ, I, I saw a video that you did. It's probably been several years about a drag chain. And I think mm-hmm. you were the first one that I saw that had something like that. Do you still use an, something like that? Or, or have you gone to more of those? Um, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the brand, but it's like the... Uh, what is it called? It's basically just a solid ball or a, a solid. Uh, oh, uh, I, I don't know. I can't think of the name right now. It's like I have, I it's have like a, like a, a little screw thing that that drops. I got the anchor. Yeah, I the got anchor, anchor wizard. wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got an anchor wizard, and it's connected to to a drag chain. I don't use an anchor that much, but mostly the drag chain. I'll use it in the rivers wherever there's current, um, and more so just to not just only to like slow me down or at times at times it doesn't you know if there's very minimal current it'll actually anchor you and 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 hold you in one spot but once there's some current and it's too strong to anchor you know and you don't want to the thing is there's a good amount of current you don't want that anchor to to lock in and, and get caught on something because it's just dangerous if there's a good amount of current just trying to get up there to get it out creates a pretty dangerous situation so that's why use a drag chain and uh drag chain more importantly than it slowing you down it's going to position uh it's going to prevent you from like spinning around from the current grabbing you and taking you it's always going to position you so that your bow is pointed up current which so and what you know so in that case i'm facing the current and i always like casting up current and reeling retrieving my lure to come naturally with the current very few times sometimes i'll go out the side very very rarely will i cast something you know, and work it against the current. I typically don't do that. So that jag chains, just another way to kind of set yourself up to, to have good boat positioning and, you know, by doing it, by having it on that little anchor wizard and kind of having it set just in the right way where you can just reel it up really quick and then drop it down really quick. You don't want to have to spend, you know, a lot of time, like doing something with that or just a set of drag chain, it's going to take you 15, 20 seconds. You want to have it on a setup where it's just really efficient and uh, takes the least amount of time as possible. Makes sense. This is shifting gears a little bit, uh, but you know, we mentioned earlier, you know, you fish all over the country. You've, I think you've won in probably as many States as I've been to, but I'm, I'm curious what your favorite, favorite places you've been. And, and you can include, you know, saltwater, non-bass stuff if you want. Like, what's what places do you get most excited to go go fish? Uh, Susquehanna River. That's definitely a uh, top of my list. I've only been there a couple times, but in all the rivers I've been for smallmouth, that one's got to be right at the top. And um, yeah, just the layout of it and the setup and all the <clears throat> little islands and places you can get up and get tucked away in and and all that. Uh, I like a lot of the Tennessee river, you know, I don't know if I had to, there's whether it's Kentucky Lake or Gunnersville or Chickamauga or or Wheeler. I don't know if I can group all those into one, but each one of those kind of has its own 
personality or own style. Obviously, Kentucky Lake's a little tougher right now, but just some of the tributaries. Really, I like a lot of the smaller tributaries and creeks and rivers that flow into those places. Um, and just fishing the lakes too can be can be fun, just depending on the lake and the time of year and all that. But uh, that's something I've really grown to like. Just moving out here to Tennessee, it's um, you know, it's yeah, it's there's a lot of access to the Tennessee rivers. Just where I'm at in Middle Tennessee, you can you know get to any part of it. I think within three hours, and there's hundreds and hundreds of miles of, of the Tennessee River, and and you know all the tributaries and backwaters. Um, another spot, maybe Santee Cooper. That's a really cool spot. Oh. I've been there. I think I've got three. I haven't won one year that there yet, but I've, I believe I got three second places there, and that's all cypress trees. Um, and cypress trees are fun. It's something that's also kind of new. I didn't never did any of that growing up in California, but I've really grown to like them and just kind of recognize it's it's kind of like finding the needle in a haystack in a, in a ways because you got all these cypress trees, and then you get to learn after a while that they're not all equal some are better than others and kind of recognizing what the attributes are that'll make one cypress tree to more desirable to a bass than another one is something that's taken a little time but something i've been enjoying enjoy learning for sure and uh see last place let's do uh lacrosse uh, upper mississippi river across wisconsin uh, that's a really cool spot and uh i've had a lot of success there and it's it's my style of fishing and uh good numbers of fish the size you know they're not always huge it's all about kind of finding those you know 18 inch plus fish uh and just kind of weeding through the smaller ones to get those a little bit bigger fish but it's it's a fun uh fun puzzle to to break apart and figure out and i enjoy it they may not be long up there but they're heavy those they are, are and they're different they're, fish they're built yeah they're built they got shoulders on them and they they fight hard and they're they're a lot of fun i like it up there when you see <clears throat> schedules coming out from a tournament standpoint is there anywhere in the country right now where you feel like when you see a lake come up or a region that you feel like it's still a weakness of yours like that you go up there and you're like ah, i have a a pretty big challenge on my hands or do you feel pretty confident that anywhere in the country that these trails go that you got a shot no i definitely say like hartwell was one anywhere where live scope is is gonna be you know that's gonna be dominated with live scope and there are lakes like that that are gonna be more live scope orientated those highland reservoirs i imagine like a lot of the we haven't gone there i don't think in a while or, or i haven't gone there in a kayak but a lot of the ozark lakes like beaver and table rock and bull shoals some of that stuff even like center hill in tennessee like percy priest i know percy priest pretty well it's a local lake here in nashville but it wouldn't, doesn't really set up to my style of fishing as much as it would with somebody using electronics or dale hollow or center hill all those lakes i I tried to like when i was at hartwell this year i knew it was going to be predominantly uh, dominated by live scope but luckily it was during the spawn so i caught all my all 10 fish that i caught were all on beds so i was lucky enough to to do that type of thing where i just spent the whole entire pre-fish just marking as many beds as possible and just went from one to the next and did a bunch of bed fishing which is something i used to do a lot in california like clear lake is one of the best bed fishing 
lakes in the whole country for for sight fishermen uh but yeah there's tar- tournaments in the spring there if they're on beds like it's predominantly one bed like sight fishing bed fishing same with like probably in florida i, I heard one right during the middle of the spawn it could be like that but like clear lake and florida um those are probably two of the top areas or lakes as far as bed fishing so it's been a while since i'd I'd done that. Uh, so it was nice to, and the kayak tournaments over the years, like I've caught like a a bed fish here, bed fish there, you know, like a few as I'm doing a number of different things, but that was the first tournament in a long time where I'm like, that's, that's all I'm doing. I'm fishing on beds. I'm not messing with any other fish. That was fun. That was fun being able to do that again. I wouldn't say I'm great at that. And I learned from some of the guy, one of my old team partners, out in California, his name's Mike Tuck. Guys out west that used to fish bass boat tournaments would know he's one of the top bass boat guys out there, and he was considered like the best bed fisherman. If you ask people out there who's the best bed fisherman in the country, they probably would would have said him. And uh, luckily, I got to learn a lot from. I'm not even close to as good as him, uh, but I got to I got to learn a lot from him at least. So that was a cool opportunity. I won't ask you to like give up any juice or anything secret like that, but like, was it for him being the best? Was it a presentation thing? Was it a bait thing? Was it uh what you're talking about earlier being stealthy and just trying your best to let the fish not know you're there. Is that what made him the best? All those things. And he could just see in the water. His eyes aren't, he actually moved out to Nashville a few years, a few years ago. And he's, he's from Tennessee he moved out there. I met him when I was probably 20 or so. He's maybe 28. So about eight years older than me. And we fished team tournaments together for about three years or so. And it was right at the time where he was winning all kinds of pro, the bigger pro-ams and stuff out there. He won a number of them sight fishing and he could just see in the water farther than, and it was freaking crazy like i'd be looking i'd be i did a lot of times when he did tournaments like i'd just be sitting there while he did his thing and uh with sitting there with the net you know and uh and he could look into the water and say exactly what the fish was doing where it was swimming he'd point to it and i'd be just sitting there staring like i can't even see any movement like i can't see anything i can't see i'm like what are you looking at right now and he, his eyes, something, that's what other people said the same thing. Now his eyes aren't as good. And he says he can't do what he was able to do back then. But it's, it's that and just learning how each, the personality of each fish and just having a number of baits from a little tiny crappie jig to a big giant, like 10 inch swim bait to uh, just like a white jig. He used a lot with a big single tail trailer or like a Texas rig with a lizard, but He'd have like nine, 10 rods all rigged up with bed fishing baits and just seeing how he rotated through them and how he progressed through that rotation, whether it's just using a big swim bait to bump a bass a bunch of times to kind of get it heated up. And sometimes it would take that really, really big lure. Like you throw a Texas rig in there, just, it wouldn't react to it. It wouldn't do anything. And then he would throw a big swim bait in there and bump it. And he knew one to bump its tail to piss it off. He'd bump its tail and take it away. Turn around, bump its tail, take it away. And then all of a sudden he'd be like, all right, it's ready. And he'd pick up like a little drop shot or something and threw it in there and bam. Like he just knew exactly what to do, when to throw it. And I don't, it's hard. It's, you can learn a lot from watching somebody, but I don't have those type of, like, I still don't get it. Like, uh, I think it sounds like it was a lot of, like evaluating and a lot of watching a bass to like study their behavior. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just, just understanding that each fish is different and looking at just their movements and their personality and how they're reacting already knowing like what bait you got to throw it in there to do, to do what and to how many casts to give that and to switch and all that just all very instinctual stuff that I'm not going to pretend I'm, I'm good. I'm okay at it, but I'm not, it's definitely not like what I'm best at. Uh, but I learned a lot from them for sure. That's cool. That's cool. That, I, that part I love, of it, yeah, go ahead, Justin. I was just going to say, I love the bedfish. And I think everything you said is spot on. It's, I, I don't know that I'm as good at it as it is more. I just love to do it. And I find myself doing it in situations where I probably shouldn't. So I wonder if that's something else that uh, you said it was uh, Mike Tuck. Mike Tuck. I, yeah. I wonder if, if, I wonder what, how much of it you think is like the, the mindset part of it, the, knowing when to leave a fish, knowing when to, to be stubborn. Cause I, I find myself like I, I'll get in trouble and sit on one good fish for too long when I need to move on. And I, that's where I think I've, I've burned myself more times than not. It's just not leaving. It, it's a five pound where I got to have it. And yeah. And totally. then, you, you know, yeah. and I just, I wonder how much of it is like that decision-making part. Yeah, that, that's a huge part of it. And also just positioning your boat, knowing how, you know, some you can get right on top of them. You know, it's not going to bother them. And other ones you want to cast at them and not even be within sight of them. Um, but as you were saying, like, yeah, just how you can really burn through a considerable amount of time for your tournament, just trying to catch one fish. And when I was at Hartwell, that tournament at Hartwell, I got had some luck on my side. The two biggest fish I caught, I think it was a 21 and a 20 two and a quarter like a skinny 22 and change or something like that uh both of those i spent 45 minutes on each one of those those are my first two fish my first two fish uh i spent 45 minutes on each one of them and after 45 minutes i finally got them to bite so i was yeah that could have definitely not gone right <laughs> yeah. um yeah and it's it's hard to, to commit that much time and it's like oh man it could burn you it can burn you bad Bed fishing in general, we're talking like from a tournament standpoint, is so scary to me. Like some people, like like you're talking, are very good good at it. They understand the mechanics of it. They're uh, from a time management standpoint, things like that. And I, I enjoy bed fishing. I'm not gonna go and say I'm very good at it because I deal with mostly northern fish, and our fish are pretty dumb in nature. So I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's <laughs> that it's uh, easy or anything. Uh, but I don't know if I will ever. You're, you're talking about you love Santee earlier. I don't know if I'll ever bed fish in a tournament ever again after my nightmare of Santee Cooper. And I'm just going to be like, you know what? I don't care if I get 40th. I'm going after post-spawners and pre-spawners every single time. Now. <laughs> I can't yeah. do the spawners anymore. They can, they, man, they can be frustrating. I know it. Extremely. <clears throat> um, but dude, so look, looking ahead, you know, you, you've done a lot in this sport. Uh, I, I would say you're probably the, uh, the highest decorated kayak angler right now for for you your point of view looking ahead what what is the goal for you is it just you just want to keep doing your thing do you have a goal you want to reach like looking at your career and you know ahead from a, at least from a kayak fishing or even fishing in general just what do you want what do you want to accomplish um i guess just keep keep enjoying it and having fun as long as it's fun and i'm enjoying it i think that's just having that you know, there's been points in my career where tournament fishing 
wasn't fun. It was more of a, a job or work, or you're just getting a situation where you're like, you know, needing a check to pay the bills or something, something like that. It can, you can get in these situations where it's, it's not fun. So um, as long as I can just kind of have a, a balanced life, I think that's a big part of it too, is I want to, I want to be able to enjoy this. So in order to do that, I want to try to have a, a balanced life and like do some other things, still work very, very hard at, just become a, a better angler, even though I've had a lot of success. Like my goal is to just continue to get better, continue to learn and to, to just enjoy it. Cause I'm not gonna, a big part of me finishing well is, is because I'm, you know, making sure not to burn myself out. I, I try to have a balanced life, do some other things and, uh, and just really appreciate my time. Sometimes I'll kind of starve myself of fishing if I got a, a tournament, you know, I won't, sometimes I won't fish too much in between the tournaments. Even if I want to, I'll, I'll try to like take a break just so when I go into that next tournament, I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to get back out again. You know, I think that's a big part of, of being successful is just that excitement of wanting to be out there, wanting to be on the water and, and looking forward to it. As soon as you're just like, Oh, I got another tournament. I'm, um, I've done so much fishing and I can get like that, you know? So that's something that I've learned a lot in the last few years and just trying to been very fortunate to just, you know, throughout life, people go through things, whether it's relationship stuff or financial stuff or health issues or family things. And all those things just play such a, a huge part. And some of that stuff's just very out of your control, you know? Uh, but I've have been grateful for the last few years. I must say like all that stuff, as far as you know, all those things have been for the most part, there's been little, little hiccups or things I've had to deal with along the way here and there. But for the most part uh, it's, it's having all those things doing well in my life allows me to really put a lot of focus and not have a lot of distraction and just be in a, a positive mindset. I think that's, that's huge because I've, I've had, you know, when you're going through stuff, it's relationship stuff or, or whatever, where it's, it's man, and then it's becomes tough to focus. You and you got all this other stuff on the back of your mind, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I love the idea of your, you're talking about, uh, if I'll quote you here, starving yourself of fishing in between tournaments, just so yeah. you're going in excited. That's just from a mental prep standpoint. That's, I haven't heard anybody say it say it like that. But that's that's cool. That way you're going in with it like a ah dang another tournament. It's like the people going to a tournament that they know is going to be tough, but they don't mm-hmm. prepare themselves for it to be tough. Like Justin, how you were talking about Chickamauga, I was going into it preparing for it to suck. Yep. Um, where it's like you're just going into it just excited just to be on the water, and that keeps you. I feel like in a sense, you're you're more joyful about what's to come for the day, and that just helps you. I feel like be a little bit more open-minded off the get-go versus somebody that's already already tired is you know been on a bender and it's just like oh man i'm woofed another day of fishing they're a little bit more negative totally that's definitely something to all that for sure that's awesome love that dude uh well man we're gonna start wrapping up here um and before we let you go it sounds like you got something pretty cool in the hopper, uh, you know, coming up for next year from a kayak standpoint, you want to, uh, fill the folks sure. in? Sure. So yeah, I thought now what better time than now to kind of make an announcement. You know, I've been, I'm going to switch to a new kayak brand. Uh, I've been with Wildy for 
well, I've been using their kayak for what, six, seven years since I got into kayak fishing. And, you know, they've, they've treated me great. I've been really happy with, uh, with those kayaks, especially my attack, but, um, I've, you know, give it a lot of thought and it wasn't an easy decision at all, but after, um, uh, yeah, giving it some ta- thought, I, I'm now going to be switching to bonafide kayaks and I'm going to be picking them up here in the, uh, yeah, this week sometime within the next uh, few days, I guess I'm going to make a trip out to South Carolina and I'm going to have a pedal drive, uh, one of the new PWRs and two of the river kayaks and, uh, got a lot of work ahead of me as, uh, as far as setting them all up and rigging them all out, but something that I'm really looking forward to really excited about and just uh, excited to be working with uh, with all the guys there, Hans and, and the rest of them. I mean, the whole just seems like a really, really good crew of people that are really passionate about the sport and just growing the growing the sport of kayak fishing. They're really involved with a lot of the tournament organizations and have a great pro staff. And there's just so many reasons for me to say, hey, this is this is the route that I want to go. So I'm excited. Heck yeah, man. Congrats. Congrats, dude. Thank yeah. you. What what was yeah. the uh, if you don't mind me asking what was your biggest you know influence for going to Bonafide like what was the decision probably their new their new kayak that's coming out uh, that just did come out yeah PWR it's really set up it's pretty similar to the Attack but just evolved I think more Attack was an older boat maybe seven years old and uh, this one is a similar type platform it's uh, designed to be integrated with motors both from the back and the front and uh the and to be used with electronics and uh everything from just the openness of the floor pan and the sides and how low the sides are which i like just being able to you know i don't like the ones that the kayaks that sit up really high on the on the sides there so um just the whole setup i haven't been in in one yet i've taken a look in at gene jensen's and seen how he's tricked it out and stuff and uh, it just seems like it'll really fit my style of fishing and uh, I'm excited to, to get in one and see, see how I like it. Thank you, man. That's awesome. If I remember, I, I thought I saw a, a look at jeans. Does it have the, the, the foot pedal steering already like basically wired, like the cables already in it? Yeah. Yeah. It's already all, all set up for uh, foot controlled steering and, you know, for the tour, I'm going to be using the Torquedo in the back or, uh, if you want to put a, a bow-mounted motor, motor guide uh, up front, it's got the whole setup so you don't have to, you know, very minimal modifications for if any, you know, it's it's ready to go. It's pretty much a just bolted in, you're, you're good to go. So uh, it's one of the first kayaks that was really, really designed around incorporating motors. And, uh, and motors, I think, is... You know, it's a, these kayaks have been evolving, and that's definitely a big step of uh, of just the involvement of kayak. Involvement uh, is that the right word? Of kayaks is incorporating motors. I think more and more. I think in the beginning, there's more people paddling and pedaling, and the, the amount of people, especially in the tournaments, using motors was you know maybe twenty percent. It's just continuously gone up. Where now it's pretty much the norm. I would say for a person to have a motor. Yeah, I, I broke down this year. I, I, I was tired of of getting you know, having having guys run circles around me with that motor. It, <laughs> it really does add to the enjoyment too. You can go so much further. It opens up it more does. the lake. It and does. That, that feature you were talking about. I've I've done the foot steering on my Outback. Like put the the wiring through. That is a pain in the butt. It would be so yeah. nice if everybody 
in the industry started doing that to where they're all pre pre yeah. set up for foot steering. Uh, yeah. That is a really good innovation. I think. I do. I agree. I agree. I'm excited about excited about getting in it. I can't wait. Heck yeah, man. Well, before we let you go here, is there anything else the folks should know that's coming up for, uh, for Mr. Russ Snyder's in 2024? Oh, uh, I'm doing a ACA paddle instruction class with Jeff Little, Drew Greger. He'll be there. Uh, a few other people. So that's something I'm excited about taking those courses. Um, and that's over in Georgia this weekend. So uh, I've got that going on. Besides that, I'm just going to be hanging out in the little lure creation station that I, I've got here. I got my little paint spray booth and all my lure making stuff you guys can see all that nice. or what but uh yeah it was my wintertime project last year and uh i didn't yeah i was just so busy with so many things and didn't get a whole lot of time to really put it to good use i've done it a little bit but really want to devote a, a week or two to kind of restockpiling the uh you know all the lures that i that i typically make i'm getting low on a good majority of them so uh it'll be nice to kind of have some time to do that i gotta rig out my kayaks for next year and getting things started off with the hobie bos series at harris chain right yeah, yeah. end of january yeah so that's first on the schedule and i'm gonna i think i'm just gonna try to i'm gonna fish as much as i can uh that's the plan for now, unless something changes. But uh, I'm gonna go at it just as as hard as ever next year. So, heck yeah, man, that's awesome. awesome. Well, dude, uh, seriously appreciate you taking the time out to be uh, on this episode of Kayak Fishing Weekly, man. And uh, I I can speak for Justin and I that you, it will not be the last time that you that you're on. Cool. Well, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was it was really fun chatting with you, and uh, do it again sometime. Heck yeah, buddy. Take care. We'll be uh, talking to you real soon. All right. See you guys. See you, you Dude, you know what would be really interesting for the kayak space would be if you take a list of very, what's, you know, seemingly consistent anglers that are always up there, you know, like a Russ, a Cody, throw a Drew or Sadiki, Christine, you know, there's a, a big list. It'd be interesting to take like the total tournaments fished. And then either total tournaments, like whether you want to do that ratio of like top five, top 10, whatever, and see like if you could make almost like a, uh, an equation of like a, a weighted average of like who's, who has the, the highest ratio of making a top five or a top 10. You know what I'm trying to say? That'd be pretty cool. It to would be. I think the closest thing that I know of, uh, like I, I think Jeff Malott has some sort of formula that's like proprietary that he came up with to come up with, with scoring. But the, the other, the thing that I look at a lot is tourney X. I'll go look at the top tens. I'll go I'll look at number of tournaments fished versus top tens. And then I'll also go in there because it's, it can be a little bit misleading. I mean, top 10 in any tournament's great. Win in any tournament's great, but you'll see some guys that have a really good, a really good record. And a lot of it's more uh, like local clubs with fewer people. It's a little easier to get a top 10 and, you know, no, a derby with with 20 people but those yeah. guys that are fishing where it's first of 100 second of 100 third of 100 you know like ross and and some of the other guys that you mentioned it's it's really really hard to do that uh, i mean really hard I've, i feel like i've i've had some success in these tournaments but i can go back and look at like take this year for example the middle of the year five six seven tournaments in a row that were just 
atrocious. And then I look at Christine, Ross, you know, Siddiqui, the, the other top guys, and they just don't bomb very much. It's to me, that's more impressive than, than the number of, of, of trophies and plaques on the wall is just the no bombs or very few. I mean, everybody bombs occasionally, but it's, it's just the, the guys that are in that elite group. They just, even if they're not on it to win, they're still, they're still close. They're still right there. Top third of the field. That's impressive to me. Really, really impressive. Yeah. It's, it's almost kind of to a point where there's a list of people where when you see them not in the top 20, you're like, Oh, they are human. <laughs> they're not supernatural. <laughs> it's like, you want to uh, call them and be like, Hey, are you okay, man? Did, did, yeah, did I was you, like, Oh, did, he hasn't submitted you, his pictures yet. <laughs> did, like, did he flip? Is he, is he floating out in the middle of the lake somewhere? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. No kidding. It's uh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I think it'd be cool, man. Uh, uh, a good a, a mentor of mine and uh, people definitely know his name especially if you listen to, like bass talk live or ike live things like that he's been around the industry for a while mr ken duke um he has this great database of anglers he's built upon of you know how many anglers uh below the age of so what you know so and so have won this and weight and winning percentages and all this stuff be super cool to make that for the kayak side of like when it comes to champion st- uh, championship style events, who has the highest percentage based on history of performance in those events or like who has the highest percentage to top five or win an event that's a hundred anglers or more, you know, things of categories like that could be super cool to try to, to make, or like who's the best kayak angler in the month of May, like in history, you know, <laughs> like that could be pretty cool stuff to try to make. I think that would be really great for the history in the future of the sport of kayak fishing. And now, I love to say I could take that on. I don't know if I have the bandwidth to make something like that. Although I have like a weird passion for numbers like that. Like I thought always thought growing up I'd be a statistician. But if there's somebody out there that has the time and is interested and can make something like this, that'd be pretty cool to try to incorporate and have like a uh what do you call it? Uh, the kayak fishing industry statistician, if you will. I don't know, bookkeeper. I don't even know what the 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 position would be, but it'd be uh something interesting to keep record of. It would make it really cool, like if we were to get, well, like maybe like with Drew's kayak adventure series where they've got commentators. Like if they actually have stats, like if you're listening to the football game and you know that somebody's just feeding them stats. Like if somebody had a spreadsheet, they could rattle off stats when somebody yeah. walks across the stage, or, or, or kind of like what Mercer does. I think he does it off the top of his head too, which is great. Yeah, yeah, he's a magician. But, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like that could be cool, um, and as well as like I don't know if it's still a thing but that whole fantasy fishing for kayak, like that could be a cool stat that you imply there too of like, Hey, it's may on average, Christine Fisher always tops five uh, top fives in the month of may where it's like, it's like betting odds. You know what I mean? It's, it could be kind of interesting, but nonetheless, that's just an idea I have. Uh, if people are, are curious and they have ideas or things we should incorporate into that. I might try to start making something like it, but trying to go back on like, you almost have to like pick a hard date to start at because you're definitely going to miss something in history that we don't have accurate record of. You know what I mean? Or it's yeah, you got to just pick a year to start at it where there was somewhat of legitimate statistics. And obviously, it's hard to access all like local tournaments. You'd probably just have to go off of KBF Hobie Bass, you know, or um, you'd probably have to go off the major trails, things like that. But it could be pretty cool to create a database like that. But Nonetheless, that's just ideas we're throwing around, but uh, I like it. yeah, man. Well, I think uh should we get into our 
kayak fishing kings and queens? Let's do week? it. All right. Well, kicking things off for this week. Uh, this is a, an interesting time to try to implement this segment, obviously, because we started here in the month of November, uh, where there's not many kayak tournaments going on right now. So a lot of what we're doing is very influencer-based, YouTube, things like that. Uh, which we told you guys from the from the get-go was something we wanted to incorporate too because there's some really good kayak anglers that may not be too heavy tournament-focused that deserve a lot of recognition, especially from uh, our community nonetheless. Um, and so, Justin, what I'll do is I'll kick it off with that sentiment and say uh, the first kayak fishing king of this week is going to the man, Mr. Larry Melton, Jr., uh, he's, uh, you might've seen him on TikTok. He makes some really good, funny content. Uh, but nonetheless, he got into kayak fishing, uh, great YouTube channel, great social media. I'll link, uh, the people that, um, we do for these kayak fishing Kings and, uh, uh, Queens of the week. I will link their social media and stuff where you guys can follow along on them, uh, and try to give them a nice little following bump or, uh, congratulations nonetheless, but very mountain man. Uh, he's getting deeper and deeper into kayak fishing. He's a good friend of, my good pal, Mr. Alex Rudd, and sounds like Larry's going to be getting into some kayak tournaments next year, but uh, he's kicking out some good content right now. Nice. Welcome to the party. Oh, yeah. He's got to <laughs> be right careful. Back. It's it's addicting. It's addicting. Deep dive. All right. Pick us off. What do you got for number two? For number two, it what I consider one of the OGs of kayak fishing, uh, one of the guys that actually is responsible for, for me getting my start, Mr. Jeff Little. Uh Great YouTube content. I, to me, he puts out more juice than I think anybody. All kinds of informative, instructional content. But the one that kind of caught my eye, I think it was last week, was a video about the new Evo. And he's already come up with a mod to take the, the standard silicone skirt that comes on that and replace it with a, a bucktail skirt to give it kind of a different sort of flow. Uh, I mean, the thing's only been on the market for a couple of months and he's already got a already got a cool mod to uh to smoke those smallmouth with so i thought that was really cool so my uh my king of the week is going to be uh, mr jeff little heck yeah dude i feel like jeff's channel like i feel like we need to just get jeff hooked up with a whole like digital crew cameraman like people that can do the the savvy social media stuff because jeff's channel and, and social platform should be over like like his youtube should, there's no reason why with the, the content he's put out there, they shouldn't be over a hundred thousand subs easily. You know what I'm saying? Cause the, the information he puts out, I'd argue he's in the top three from an educational standpoint of like valuable information for kayak anglers in the entire space right now. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. He should, he should be one of the biggest channels out there in the kayak fishing space. Yeah. Well, man, uh, rounding us out, for this week's kayak fishing kings and queens of the week uh kind of a little segue uh talking about saltwater fishing uh, earlier in this episode um we've plugged him i feel like on a couple shows now and uh so he's definitely gotten some credit but we're going to plug him into a kayak fishing king of the week uh and that is mr nolan miner uh talking from a content standpoint he's had two great years um fishing kayak tournaments um specifically the hobie bos series but uh, putting out some really, really good saltwater fishing content from the kayak, doing some pretty impressive stuff. And you could tell, like, we're, you know, Russ has it, Christine has it. There's people that just got that that X factor of a, being a fish head. If it swims, they want to catch it. You know, they get excited for it. It doesn't have to be 
a bass. And uh, when they do it, they do it full, you know, wholeheartedly. And they want to learn as much about that species and how it behaves so they can catch more. And it's the love for the the sport and the fish itself. So uh, you can see that with Nolan 100% and uh, got to give him a shout too. If you guys haven't checked out his YouTube channel, again, I'll link it down in the uh, descriptions for you guys. So you can go check out and subscribe and use some of that content. But uh, man, another great episode in the books. I think it's episode five here of Kayak Fishing Weekly. I think Christine was four. Yeah, it's funny. It's you know less than five, and we already lost count. But yeah, <laughs> I'm not good with numbers. Neither am I. I don't know what to do with my hands. We just, we just sit here, talk, and ramble. <laughs> but nonetheless, dude, uh, do you have anything coming up this weekend? You going fishing? Uh, I don't even know what the water tips are like down your area. They're definitely warmer than yours, and I have a feeling the fish are biting. But it's you know, it's getting to that time of year when it's it's less pleasant out there, and I I find myself being lazier. And actually, th- this weekend's probably not going to be out of laziness. I am trying to kind of do an inventory, all my gear, identify the stuff that you know maybe I, I need to replace that I'm low on, and then you know start taking some of the things that maybe I didn't throw at all this year or over the last couple of years. The whole t- kind of taking inventory and evaluating what I need to do for next year. How much money am I going to drop on uh, on new toys? And especially while, you know, some of those Black Friday sales are still going on. Yeah, <laughs> you got to get that while you can. Try and get it get it as cheap as I can. I've seen some pretty good ones rolling around. Uh, over on the Sears Angler side, we work with Omnia Fishing, and they're running some pretty dang big deals too. Um, but, yeah, dude, this is like the time to do that. I'm hoping to get out this weekend, chase some big smallmouth. It's, dude, northern weather is so frustrating sometimes, especially here in Buffalo, living between two of the – Two really great, um, I was going to call them great, great lakes, but that wouldn't have made sense. But two uh, great lakes, smallmouth-wise, that the weather is so up and down where we got we got the, all that snow, but then tomorrow is going to be 55 degrees. So it's all going to melt away, and it's going to be sunny, and it's going to make the fishing suck, at least from, from tomorrow and Friday. But hopefully this weekend I'll get the uh, the pro angler out. I've been fishing out of the eye track the past few weeks to get I just wanted to put the, uh, the electronics away for a while, go run smaller bodies of water, literally just bring a spinnerbait and a jig and just go fish shallow. And uh, I did that, uh, posted a new video um, as people listen to this on Wednesday night on my personal channel that was just flipping a jig shallow and cracked them. Uh, it was a good good amount of time. But uh want to get out and go chase some bigger water, smallmouth. The wind looks just about right to get out on Erie in the kayak one last time this weekend. So. Hopefully, well, good luck, dude. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm putting it out there as a challenge to any other Great Lake smallmouth people uh, from the uh, or smallmouth in general that are from the kayak. But I don't know if there's ever a. I tried look. I scoured YouTube. I don't know if there's a biggest smallmouth bag from the kayak recorded on YouTube. But if there is, I'm going after it. Unofficial local, record. Unofficial record. Yes. Official scale, like I'm, I'm even because I've been thinking about this. I'm considering even bringing two different scales, and then making them the average of the two scales. Okay. To have it to be like legit, you know, what get I mean? them both certified first, and then. I don't know about yeah. certified. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'll just put it on video. It is most certified you'll get out of me. <laughs> yeah. But the, nonetheless, I'm gonna go chase a dirty thirty from the kayak, uh, smallmouth wise. I haven't done it smallmouth wise. I've had um solo t- i've had 29 two um but definitely want to chase that uh i've had the dirty 30 this year large mouth just want to do it small mouth wise that's disgusting 
<laughs> Don't land a nice part about living up north, man. <laughs> He's got big dumb <laughs> I've never even been close to that. We're gonna I'm, get you I'm up gonna, here this spring, man. I'm I'm gonna have to chase those those freak smallmouth up there one of these days. We're gonna we're gonna get you up here, but uh, nonetheless, folks, appreciate you guys tuning into the show. It uh, is certainly growing uh, better than we had hoped, and it is uh, it's cool to see. Love the feedback from you guys. Um, you know, people that are coming over to subscribe to the Sears Angler uh, Network YouTube channel or they're listening to the MP3. You guys are amazing, and especially following us on social and getting in the DMs. Appreciate y'all. Um, if you are listening on MP3, whether that is, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whomever, um, it gives you an option to do rating and reviews. If you guys could do that, it helps us out big time uh, from getting uh, seen more on the app from uh, other anglers that are trying to learn more about kayak fishing. Uh, so if you can, please do so. Uh, but without further ado, appreciate you guys for listening to today's episode, and we'll see you next week. Hey guys, appreciate you listening to that episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If your application that you're listening to this episode on uh, allows it, please give us a rating and review. It helps us out big time, get shown more on the platform that you're listening to, and it helps us grow the show. If you get some time, check out the other podcasts on the Serious Angler Network. And of course, have a great day.